It's all about his presence, isn't it? We can't do anything without his presence. By the way, uh, Michael, Brendan, don't let me forget. I've got to do the offering at the end. Don't let me forget the offering, please. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be on volume. <laughs> don't let me forget the offering. <laughs> We say like Moses said, you know, unless your presence goes with us, we don't want to move in his presence above all things. How do you feel? How would you feel if his presence came among us and the whole place started shaking? There was a mighty wind kind of coming into this room and the place started shaking and then fire fell in the uh, building, the, uh, that'd be fine. Yeah, be, I think it'd be a bit frightening. We've been talking recently about how God shakes things. God is actually in the habit of giving things a good shaking from time to time, not because He's in a mood, not because He's angry with somebody, but because God is testing things to see what we're building with. Whether we're building with something that's going to stand the test of the storm, of the shaking. And uh, we were looking a couple, I was looking a couple of weeks at Haggai chapter 2 where it talks about we're building God's house. And we said we've been building a house in, amongst the rubble of things that have fallen. And that's been tough enough. But how about doing that when there's an earthquake going on as well, when things have been shaken. And I talked about building in the shaking because God says, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. And... Uh, I pointed out, I, I hope I pointed out that um, sometimes I forget what I've said. I know what, what I meant to say, but what I actually said might be two different things. But I think that I said when God shakes things, it's to, it's to judge things in the right way. It's to expose things. Not so that we're condemned, but so that we can fix them. So that we can put them right with his grace. But the time when it, it's a judging, it's a little bit like there's other images used in scripture. So for example... The threshing, so we separate the, the wheat from the chaff. The temple, God's house, was built on the threshing floor. Okay, that's, that indicator tells us something. God wants the best stuff, so he threshes it. Or there's the pruning. Or, and Trevor was looking at this last week, there is the, the fires of God that make sure we're building with, not with wood, hay, and stubble, but with silver, gold, and precious stone. God judges it for that reason. It's not to expose us and to condemn us. It's just to get things right. Like the other, the other day, Phil Taylor came around and he had a look at a light fitting for me that wasn't working properly. And uh, I thought, well, if we just, you know, because Phil's, Phil's a, I was going to say a wizard then. Some people might not like that. I don't know. Phil, Phil, Phil's really good. Phil's really good with electrics. And uh, I thought, oh, we can get this working. It's just something that needs to be fiddled about with and we can put the bulb in. But... Is that your partner questioning that, mate? Is that your business partner questioning that? Yeah, so, um, okay, well. Uh, so when we took it off, though, and he, he, he took out the light fitting and he looked at it, the whole wires, let's say the connection, had wasted away. It eroded, and we, we couldn't do anything with it. And sometimes God exposes something so we know where we've got to throw it away or we've got to strengthen and renew the connection. And maybe God will shake things for you and you'll find there's a relationship that wasn't as strong. There's a connection that wasn't as strong as you thought it was. Well, either you can throw it away or you can decide to strengthen it or renew it. And that's why God exposes things. And when there's a shaking, 
Sometimes it's, it's really unnerving, it's unsettling. So there are things that we thought were permanent that are no longer there. We have a little illustration of that in the Jubilee Centre at the moment. Those of you who have been around a while, you'll know if you go into the toilets in the Jubilee Centre now, and you go to switch on the light, or you go to switch off the light, you're, it's not there, and you, start, you find yourself stroking a piece of plastic, which is a bit weird. <laughs> it's because, sorry, some of you have not noticed, look, I don't know what's going on there, but it's, it's because we've removed the light switch to another to, because we never put the light off, and so now it just goes off automatically. Is that the idea? Yeah. That's just a little illustration, but God something is shaking. He removes things that maybe we've begun to rely upon and says that they've got to go. And so, um, because he wants to build his house with silver, gold, and precious stone. So we, we looked at, and, and Trevor looked at it again last week as well, I noticed. We looked at Hebrews 12. Let's just look at that again very quickly, because this is where, again, God, where the scripture talks about God being in the habit of shaking things to test them. And uh, this is my, basically the second part. I didn't get to finish what I, I started two, two weeks ago, so I'm going to try and finish it today. We'll see how we do. Um, It says in Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 25, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation this time. He says, see to it that you obey, is that verse 25? Yeah. See to it that you obey God, the one who is speaking to you. Let me just stop there for a minute. When I was preaching on this last time, I reminded you the most important thing when there's a time of shaking, when there are turbulent things, when things are kind of being moved around and we're feeling unsettled, the most important thing in those stormy times, if you like, is to get to that still, quiet center in the middle of the storm and to hear what God is saying. The most important thing is the word of the Lord. This is what Sarah was reminding us a few weeks ago when we're building a cathedral, using that as an illustration. She said the most important thing is Holy Spirit. What are you saying? Because otherwise we think things start to fall apart, things start to move and we get a bit unsettled and we think, oh my goodness me, the whole sky is falling in, everything's falling apart. No, God, get me to that still, quiet place and let me hear your voice. What are you saying to me? Remind you again of Peter Crabtree talking about the fruit, being fruitful, even when you feel things have wasted away. Remember he talked about Ezekiel 37, then bones, the valley of bones. How did they come to life again? How did they come to life? Go on. Sorry, well, God, but what did he tell Ezekiel to do? Prophesy. Speak. Prophesy to the bones. Speak the word of the Lord. Dem bones. Dem bones. Dem dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear God's word. That's what matters in the time of shaking. And notice this, it says, keep, you can keep it up there, it's fine. Um, I'll probably lose my place here. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, how terrible our danger if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. Be careful you don't miss what God is saying because you're miffed with the messenger. <laughs> okay, don't miss what God's saying because you've got a problem with the messenger. It doesn't matter what, what clay pot it comes in, just get the gold of God's word. Um, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This only means, this means, sorry, that the things on earth will be shaken, 
so that only eternal things or unshakable things will be left, will remain. You see, what this is about, come back to this in a minute. Why God is doing the shaking, and by the way, he's comparing the time of Sinai, the time of the coming in the law, now with the coming of the gospel time. But, but what's happening is, heaven is coming to earth. The whole purpose of God is to renew the creation, to bring in a new creation. It's to give us a taste of the future in the here and now. It's to give us a taste of heaven here on earth. That's what we call the kingdom of God. That's his purpose. Now, when heaven invades earth, when heaven comes to earth, guess what? There's a whole lot of shaking that goes on. Somebody should write a song with that. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Think, and it comes often, think of Pentecost. When heaven is coming to earth, when the Holy Spirit is poured out. Uh, what happens? There's a mighty rushing wind. And I think it probably shook things up a little bit. If it's anything like what happened a couple of chapters later, where the very place where they were praying was shaken. I think the whole place was being shaken. A whole lot of wind. You know, people respond differently to wind storms. I, I quite like them. You know, Alison is a, you know, Alison, my wife, she is a formidable, fearless lady. But she doesn't like the wind. So at night time, if the wind is blowing outside and it's rattling the windows and stuff, she snuggles up to me a little bit closer. That's a miracle in itself, to be honest with you. But, but, but I love it. I love the sound of a wild wind. In fact, there's a part of me that kind of wants to get out there. In the wind and the rain on the moors, maybe. Just about, I don't know, shouting, I don't know, like Heathcliff. I don't know, Kathy, Kathy. I, I fancy that idea. It's only a small part of me because I actually decided to stay in the bed where I'm quite warm and, <laughs> warm and comfortable. So it's not a bigger part of me. But, but I like the wind. But for a lot of people, wind and storm is unsettling. Shaking is unsettling. And then fire came at Pentecost as well. And Trevor talked about how our God is a consuming fire. And we think, oh yeah, wonderful. In fact, it says here, let's just read, finish this little passage here. It then says, goes on to say, um, since we are receiving... A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. Can you all look thankful, please? When God is shaking things, and he says, and worship God acceptably, or with holy fear, it says here, doesn't it? I'm, I'm doing half New International Version and half New Living Translation. So I'm doing, For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Hey, let's worship. <laughs> let's be thankful. But it's true, we should be thankful, because God is establishing something with silver and gold and precious stone. He's not going to allow us to build with rubbish. He's not going to allow us to build with poor connections. He's not going to allow us to build with bad attitudes. He says, I'm not, I'm not building my house with that. So what is God building his house with? And this is how far I got last time. What is God building his house with? Well, in the NIV, it says this. It shakes things so that only what remains is left. And straight away, I thought of where it says in 1 Corinthians 13, at least it does in the New International Version anyway. It says, three things remain. What are they? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so you may remember last time I was speaking, I came to the end of my time and I hadn't started on those. Oh, 
Do you realize how difficult it is for me now not to preach on these three things? Well, I'm going to do it now. I want us to talk about and look at together what does it mean when we build with faith, hope, and love the things that are of, are, are of eternal value, the things that are of the kingdom, the things that are of heaven. And you know what? When all the shaking had gone on at Pentecost, when all the fire had come at Pentecost, What was left behind was a community which demonstrated these qualities of faith, hope, and love. They loved one another. Nobody was in need because they each shared what they had. What remained after the shaking? And you know what? Some of that shaking, some of that heaven coming down where there's a shaking and there's a fire, it comes with miracle and power and sign and wonder as well. And that's fantastic. We want sign and wonder. We want more of God's power. But the power and the miracle and the signs and wonders are not the eternal kingdom. They're the sign that the eternal kingdom has come. Don't idolize the sign. It'd be a bit like if, you know, we came along the M62 and there was a sign to Huddersfield and we just stopped there and said, hey, we've arrived. No, no, that's the sign pointing us to Huddersfield. And the miracles and the sign and the wonders are great, but they're the sign pointing us to the kingdom. By the way, I'm not saying the kingdom's like Huddersfield. God help us. By the way, for those who've just moved to Huddersfield, Huddersfield is a wonderful place, okay? We're visiting. It's a wonderful place. But it's not like the kingdom. We just trust and pray that Huddersfield is going to become like the kingdom. That's why we want to build. That's why we want to build right. But what was left after the shaking and the, the fire? is a community. that Those of you who have been blessed and influenced by the Bethel Church, by, by Bill Johnson and so on, and it's great, as long as it's an influence and not an idol. You know, as long as it's a good influence. And, but one of the things that Danny Silk said, he said, people came to the church for the miracles, but they stayed for the culture. They came for the miracles. It was a sign that something was happening. God was doing something. But they stayed because of the culture. And I want to build a culture like they have. Filled with faith, hope, and love. Okay. If I'm not careful, I'm going to end up at the same point again and not be, have time to preach on them. So let me talk about faith. <clears throat> First of all, let's talk about um, what I want to do this time in talking about faith, hope, and love. I want to talk about them in terms of a vertical dimension, our relationship to God, and a horizontal relationship, um, dimension, a relationship to one another. Is that okay? So first of all, Godward. Faith in terms of our relationship with God. First of all, can we say what it isn't? Because for many years... I used to think like growing in faith was a little bit like, you know, <clears throat> you know those pictures and those books and those magazines where they have all these men with rippling muscles, you know, and showing off all their, their, their muscles and this is all this kind of stuff. Um, I used to think to, to grow in faith, I, basically faith was about showing and growing my, my spiritual muscles. Have I got faith to, to heal the sick? Have I got faith for this? provision have I got faith for this situation and 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 and, and it, we went through a time I think anyway where um, that's what it was like people were it was a bit it was a little bit like those pictures which you see those postcards where you see of the big muscle men and the next to them is a little puny little weak guy kind of and I don't know and the guy was kicking sand in his face or something like that and I sometimes felt I'd go to conferences where there were these guys who were showing off the spiritual muscles that they were the man of faith and power for the hour. And I felt a little bit like that puny little fellow. And they were 
kicking copies of Kenneth Hagen books in my face or something like that. I, but but I, I... Kenneth Hagen was a faith teacher, by the way. But um, and, and, and it was like, you know, the, the, that thing at the fairground where you can hit the thing and see if it'll go up and hit the bell. And we were taught faith like that. Have you got faith that if you... Oh, I've got faith for... I've got faith for somebody to be healed of a cold. No, have I got faith for somebody to be healed of blindness? I've really hit the bell if I can raise the dead. You know, and in faith... I don't think faith should, we should think of faith like that. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's an element of truth in the illustration. God does encourage us to exercise our faith yeah. regularly. He calls us to live by faith. He calls us to... Um, sometimes he will stretch us in a situation so that we can grow our faith. And faith can be weak or strong, so there's an element of truth in it. But we must be careful. Let me say what I think faith is. Essentially, the word faith, we won't do a word study on it, but the word faith carries a sense of both belief and truth. So it is belief in God's... Sorry, not, let me correct that. Belief and trust. It carries a sense of belief and trust. We believe what God, God's word because we trust God's character. Let me put it in another way. We believe what God says because we know what God is like. See, if you, if you know somebody, what, what, they're, what they're like, you know them, you can be more like, you, hopefully you'll trust them. So I can say, this, this gentleman here with the beard and the nice shirt, it's good to see you. Um, what's your name, sir? Russell. Russell. Nice to meet you, Russell. I don't want to embarrass you. I suppose I already have, but um, um, i sorry. Um, but Russell, I, I said, can I... Can I can I just have your wallet? <laughs> oh, don't mind. No, don't, don't. <laughs> don't. <give laughs> don't. <it to> <laughs> okay. Give me that. Honestly, you can trust. Give me your wallet. You can trust me. Where's the offering basket? Uh, you don't know me. And you might think, oh, well, he's a preacher, so, you know, he's a Christian and everything, so I should be able to trust him. I don't know. <laughs> but you don't know me. Whereas if I said to Paul here, <laughs> Paul, can I have your wallet? <laughs> don't break. Oh, <laughs> Just room. You trust me, won't you, Brendan? Look. Oh yes. Yeah. They're saying they haven't got their wallets. They're breaking down my illustration. The point is, if you know somebody, hopefully you're more likely to trust them. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's the time. We'll just put it there for now. Thank you, Michelle. Um, do you know when when Jesus, the disciples, got on the boat with Jesus and they were going across the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up? And Jesus is just sleeping in the fire. He's found his still quiet center in the middle of the storm. He's fine. He's dreaming about his father's kingdom. He's fine. Um, and the disciples wake up and say, don't you care? We're all going to drown. And what does Jesus say? He says, you've got such little faith. And then he calms the storm. And then they say, what are you like, Jesus? What are you like? What manner of man are you? You see, even though they've been following him, they hadn't quite figured out what he was like. But when, if they knew what he was like, they believed his word. Because what had he said at the beginning? Let us go over to the other side. Jesus had said, listen, we're all going over to the other side. If you know what he's like, you can trust him. And, and so, if faith is believing God's word because you trust his character, it's believing what he says because you know what he's like, what should be our main priority? Getting to know God. I mean, you can if you want to, and there's a value in this. You can get into the Word, 
And you can just repeat the word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can keep on repeating the word if you like, and it has some value, because faith comes by hearing the word. That's true. You can have, that have But if we're not careful, we can try and do that like a magic spell. Or like, I do believe. I do believe. I do believe in fairies or whatever. You know, I, I do believe. I do believe. We're trying to work up faith. I think you don't need to do that. I think if you set your sights on just getting to know him better, getting to build that relationship with him, you will believe his word because you know what he's like. I tell you what, if you think of God as some kind of God who's trying to expose you and judge you and show you how bad you are, you're never going to grow in faith. But when you get to know what he's truly like, it's easier to believe his word. So faith in God is about believing his word because you know what he's like. Therefore, get to know what God is like. Now, then it comes to the horizontal with one another. And so you can say, okay, I can do that with God. I can trust God because, well, he's good. I might lose sight of that sometimes, but I know essentially he's good and he's God. He's perfect in all his ways. So, of course, I can trust him. But each other, in all the mess and the muddle that we are, Can we trust one another? God, yes. One another, Mm, not so sure. But in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, love always trusts. Love always trusts. Now, I don't think it means that we get naive and a person who's let us down and down again, again, and again. I don't think we get naive about it, but it's basically saying the basic disposition of our heart should be to trust one another. The basic, we should be predisposed to trust one another. You see, in our broken, fallen self, our, our tendency is to sometimes assume the worst. Why did she look at me like that? What did he mean when he said that? What, what was that tone of voice he was saying it in? And we start jumping to conclusions. We start making assumptions. And if we're not careful, we start assuming the worst about a person. Trust is deciding I'm not going to assume the worst about somebody. I'm going to assume that they're doing the best with what they've got, like me. That's what trust is. I'm assuming that, okay, there's a mixture of motives sometimes, and we're all in a bit of a mess and a muddle, but essentially we're trying to do the best with what we've got. Let's approach our relationships trusting one another like that. And let me just move on to hope and still stay with the horizontal. Because I think if trust means not assuming the worst of one another... I think hope means looking for the best in one another. Hope means looking for the best in one another. How about we approach relationships with one another, where even if we've experienced some bad stuff from one another, we actually think, okay, I didn't get the best version of you on that occasion, but I'm looking for the best version of you. I'm looking for the best you. I've spoken before about how all of us have got a false self and a shadow self. Um... But we've also got a true self, our best self. How about we approach relationships with one another where we're looking for our best self? I think that's a great way to build relationship. Faith, trust, and hope. And let me say something else about that. Hope, I believe, one thing about hope, and again, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love always trusts, and then straight away again, it says love always hopes. Um... I was thinking about this recently. I think love 
um, always start, looks for what we do have, not for what we don't have. Hope, sorry, always looks for what we do have, not for what we don't have. I was thinking about this recently where Jesus was feeding the 4,000. You realize, by the way, that Jesus fed the 4,000 as well as the 5,000. There were two different occasions. And there was this time I was reading in the book of Mark. Jesus was feeding the 4,000. He had had this whole crowd of them and he said, he had compassion on them. You know, Jesus is concerned with our practical things, not just our so-called spiritual things. And he says, ah, man, they're hungry. They've been with me three days and they haven't had any food. And if I send them away now, some of them are going to faint on the way to get food. So, so he says to the disciples, what are we going to do about food? And the disciples say, oh, I, I don't know. I mean, we're in a remote place. I don't know. There's no, there's no, I don't know, there's no um, Aldi or whatever nearby. I, I, don't know, I don't know what we're going to do. I think, you know what, and I just suspect that Jesus may have been a, a little bit, a little, tiny little bit disappointed in his disciples. Because they'd seen him feed 5,000 already. And said, oh, God, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. But he didn't say anything. He didn't say, oh, for goodness sake, why don't you believe me? I mean, I know he said that sometimes, but for this occasion, he didn't say, you're a useless lot. Have you not got any faith? Jesus didn't do that. He says, what have you got? Please notice those lines. He says, what have you got? Well, he says, well, we've got seven loaves. Hope looks for what we have, not for what we don't have. I'm reminded of this. A few, a few, uh, lovely, great to see Christine here. Again, good to have you with us, Christine. And I, I, it was when I went to see Christine a few months ago when she was in hospital. I went to visit her. And I was waiting outside the bay for a little while in the hospital ward. And I noticed, and again, I'm afraid I noticed these things. I noticed somebody had written a sign. And don't, don't, don't admit to it. So I don't, I'm not trying to expose anybody or make you feel bad. But somebody had written a sign on the board, on the doors there about don't put cups on the ledges, to it. Don't, don't own up to it. You forgot to put an apostrophe. <laughs> and don't, okay? Well, and I notice things like that, I'm afraid. So I was in the ward, and there was something about how there had only been so many falls in the ward. They put that number of how many falls have been in the ward. And I can't remember now what it was. I've got a horrible feeling they actually put an apostrophe on falls when they shouldn't have been. It's just, it's a plural. When there's a plural, there's no apostrophe. That's how I teach my English lessons. Sometimes I that's, that's not a part of me. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, but I thought, so it did occur to me, it did occur to me in that moment, maybe I could say to one of the nurses, I thought I could help them out. I thought this is something I could help them with, point them where they've, did a, so what did you say, Jen? Uh, well, I, I thought I could go to a nurse and say, I know you're busy. You know, I know you've got a few things to do. I know you're saving lives and everything. But if you could just put the apostrophe in, please. I'd be <laughs> I thought I might get a bedpan on my head, so I didn't do it. I didn't. I decided not to do it. It's easy to see what we haven't got, isn't it, than what we have got. Can I encourage us, folks, no matter what's happened, we've been shaken. But let's focus on what we have got. Not what we haven't got. Look around. See what we have got. And what we take what we have got, we put it into the hands of Jesus. We give thanks to God and we watch and see the miracle that he'll do with what we have got. Hope always starts with what we have got. That's just toward one another. Let me just talk a little bit just about hope toward God. When I, uh, 
when I've talked about hope um, in God before now, I would probably focus on having a sense of expectation that God wants to bless you. And, and I know, like the psalmist says, I know that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. That sense of expectation for the blessing of God. And that's, that's fair enough. That's, that is an aspect of hope. That can, of course, just be just natural optimism. And I think hope is more than that. Hope is basically that upon which you found your life and what you're looking to in life. Hope is the anchor. The anchor that holds you secure in the storm, in the time of shaking. By the way, the Bible tells us that the Hope is the anchor that goes beyond the veil. That is, it goes into the secret place. It goes into the place of intimacy with God. So hope grows through intimacy as well as trust. But hope is, hope is about what my whole life focuses around. What my whole life is built on. And we sing the song, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Let me just explain it to you this way. If you've ever been through a time where it felt like everything that you were building, everything that you were looking forward, looking towards, everything that you were anticipating of blessing and goodness and stuff, it seemed to fall apart. I'm going to say this, that's when you find where your hope is, what it's founded on. What are you hoping for in life? And when, when that happened for me, when things kind of fell apart and I wasn't, things didn't turn out how I anticipated I remember trying to process this, and I was helped by a little book by a pastor in America called Pete Wilson, and the book was called Plan B. <laughs> it was when Plan A in your life, whatever it might be, it might be in a business, a relationship, in a different area of life, in ministry, Plan um, A has fallen apart. You got what's Plan B? Richard Raw calls it falling upwards. You, you, you then begin to learn actually. The thing that I'm aiming for in life is now not so much about what I achieve, what I do, or what I get. I want my life to be about the kind of person I become. And I remember processing it like this. If my aim, my ambition, my hope in life is a certain career or a certain kind of life, my children growing up in a, to, to do certain things, if, if that's what I base my life upon, if that's my hope, that can fall apart and that can disappoint. Some of you have known that. And I can't control that. One of the things that happens when God's shaking things is you realize you're not in control. And I remember thinking to myself, if Jesus is my only hope, and I think like Paul who said this, whatever was to my profit... I now consider rubbish. In other words, being this kind of certain, this religious ambition of being a religious leader he wanted to be. All that's rubbish now. This is, my, this is what I look for. I want to know Jesus better and I want to become more like him. It shifted his hope. His goal in life was to know Jesus better and to become more like him. And I remember thinking to myself, if that's my goal, if that's my hope, Actually, nothing can stop that except me. See, if my goal and hope is to have a certain kind of job uh, or a certain salary or to have so many friends, 
That can disappoint me. That can fall apart. I can find for a certain job. I'm just not up to it. That can fall apart. I've got no control over that. But if my hope, my aim and my hope in life is to know him better and to become more like him, even the things that go wrong can actually contribute towards that goal if I respond to them rightly. Does that make sense? And so I'm hoping I'm learning. I lose sight of it sometimes. I get distracted from it. But my hope is in Christ alone. I just want to love him, follow him, get to know him better, and become more like him. That's what it means, I believe, to have Christ as our hope. I've dealt with faith, and I've dealt with hope, and it looks like I haven't got any time for love. That sounds very good. Thank you. It should. (laughs) I will just very quickly say about love. The Godward way is, first of all, make sure you know that you are loved by him, first and foremost. We love because he first loved us. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that's who we are. Just get that settled every day in your life that you are a loved child of God, unconditionally loved. That sets the foundation for everything. And here, one last thing, to, just to finish, on loving each other well. I, to be fair, you need to get this, actually, because this is great. This is, like, this is like an amazing revelation, a startling insight I've got on loving each other. Are you ready? I mean, you need to get your pens and your paper ready because this is good. This is an amazing insight on loving one another well, how to love one another well. Here's my insight. You ready? It's blooming hard work. <laughs> That's my insight. It's blooming hard work. And I don't mean, by the way, yeah, I know, you could say, yeah, we know loving you is hard work, Trevor. We get that. We know we do. We see that. And you might think this work is, um, well, yeah, because there's a lot of hard work I'd like to do on Paul, you might think. But no, the hard work is not what you do on others or in relationship. The hard work, not to love each other as well, the hard work is what you do in yourself. So it's when you react to a situation or a person in some way and you want to... The hard work is stopping, looking at what's going on inside of me, that that's how I'm reacting. Having an honest conversation with yourself, at least, maybe with somebody, maybe with the person concerned, and working out what's going on inside of you so that then you can respond in a great way and not react in a bad way. It's hard work, but we've got to do it if we're going to love one another well, and we're going to build a culture of faith, hope, and love. Folks... We're building and receiving an unshakable kingdom. Let's build with faith, hope, and love. Can we all just stand a moment, please? So since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us be thankful. Everybody say, Lord, thank you for the shaking. (laughs) Thank you for the fire. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, thank you for the fire, God. Father, we just thank you. That you are giving us, you're you're partnering with us, or we're partnering with you, to create in this place a culture of heaven, an unshakable kingdom community, as we build with silver and gold and precious stone. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to shake it at times, to expose that which needs to go, so we can build with that which is eternal, that which remains. Help us, Lord, to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you.
if 